Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week we are going to keep on trucking with that top 100. (laughs) (laughs) This week we're going to be taking a look at numbers 50 through 41. Top half. These are the good games. That's like a running (laughs) joke for everybody, right? And the games we're going to review this week, we are going to be taking a look at the Prodigals Club, which is an older title by Vladimir Succi, but it just got reprinted recently. And then we're also going to take a look at a little small game by Blue Orange Games, which is Downtown Farmer's Market. But before we get into any reviews, well, this is going to be kind of a review. You, recently, you did an unlock with your family? Yeah, me and my son did the older one called Heroic Adventures. Um, it And the first one is a video game theme. That one was my favorite one. Um, you go into like this video game and solve the, it's kind of like Mario. Yeah. You just, this little character that's going to the video game. I really liked that one a lot. There was the Alice and then there was hard one was Alice in Wonderland and there was a Sherlock one. The Sherlock one was fine. The Alice in Wonderland was cute. Um, just the story with it was really good. Um, but it was, that was the hardest one. So I always struggle with the hard ones, but it was still cute and and they were all unique and different the way that they use the cards and the clues and stuff. So it was it was fun. Um, my son just he just loves those and but can't solve them at all. So it's just like him constantly cheating. And I'm like, just stop. Just give me a second to look at it. <laughs> I want to do it right. But but we're trucking through. I also did I tell you I picked up um the exit um advent calendar. Yeah, you mentioned it last week. Yep. Yeah. By the time this episode airs, you're already going to be in it. Oh yeah, I'll be able to tell you about it next week then. Yeah, yeah, because we're just on the cusp. Yeah. Yeah. So a little uh, little spoiler, she's going to be doing the advent calendar thing. I have a question with your son and these puzzles. Does he legit not try the puzzles at all? So a lot of the ones are like you reveal a card and it'll have like another card number on it. So he likes to go through and find the card number. That's fun. And look at the next picture. And like a lot of them have kind of a puzzle part where you've got these pieces that are red pieces and then you've got these cards that are blue pieces and so you have to put them together so you might find a nail and a hammer or maybe that's a bad example because you have to nail the hammer into something but you might find a lock and a key right and so you have to put those two things together they're never that obvious but he likes that part of it so if you have to put two pieces together he can solve those really easily Um, but a lot of them have like some kind of puzzle on them and and he can't even touch those those are so i do those and and then the times where we get stuck is when I look at it and go, I don't even know where we're going with this. So then we cheat and say, okay, we need these cards. And then I'm like, and then I put the rules to the side. I'm like, all right, now I know which card, cards I need. And now I can see what the puzzle is. I will try to solve it without cheating. In a given game, how many times do you pull a cheat code? Multiple times. Do you have, a, like a, do you have an average number? Is it like seven or eight? Like what is, what is a good score? Well, we score good because we cheat. <laughs> because we pull up so i like to pull up so there's hints you can use the app and there's hints the hints are helpful if you're stuck because then you're like okay i need this card i don't have this card yet so we can't even try to solve this that's fine but like sometimes it'll say you need these cards to solve i'm like yeah i know that i know all that so then i look in the booklet like they have a booklet um sometimes they come with it but sometimes not so but you can find it online and then um i just use the booklet to see like what puzzle we're trying to solve and so i often will look at it and oh okay now i get it then i close it 
So that doesn't affect the score because the app doesn't know that I looked in the booklet. <laughs> oh, so it doesn't know you're cheating and you don't yeah. tell it that you're cheating. You just let it be? No. But my son will always, like if he, he puts two things together, if you put, like let's say you put the wrong lock with the wrong key, it'll like, it'll say, no, you've unlocked the bears and they've escaped and then you'll get a penalty, you know, something like that. And he'll, and I'm like, don't look because I, we gotta, don't just, don't just randomly put them together and see if it works because we'll get a penalty and he'll do it anyways. And then I'm like, oh, I knew that wasn't going to work. Don't take the penalty because I, I like to cheat. And he, he always takes the penalty. I'm like, stop putting them together. Like, because you have to like physically like push the button to take the penalty. You know, I'm like, you don't have to do that, Max. So you're encouraging, you're encouraging your son to cheat while learning how to be good at escape room style games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, you do you. <laughs> you do whatever makes you feel good. I don't. I also don't teach my kids never to lie because that's not the real world we live in. But that's a different topic. You got to figure that out. Anyway, let's get into let's get into our reviews. Uh, first up, I want to talk about the Prodigals Club. It is a hand management worker placement game designed by Vladimir Suchi, art by Thomas Kukurovsky, published by Czech Games Edition. In this game, players are members of the Prodigals Club, a secret fraternity of people who are trying to offend high society as thoroughly as possible. <laughs> They'll be doing this by setting up two to three competitions. The Prodigals Club is played over the course of five rounds, but could actually end earlier than that. At the start of the game, players will pick two of the competitions to play, or they can choose to play all three. Each competition kind of has its own little sub-game. In the elections competition, you are trying to lose all the votes you can, in the possessions competition, players will try to trade down their possessions, sell them, and lose all their money. In the society competition, you are trying to upset four of society's most influential people. Each round breaks down into several phases, the first being the setup, where players will populate the board with cards, possessions, and other tiles. Next up is the errands phase. This is the worker placement phase, where players will send their workers to the various locations on the board. The main thing you're doing in this phase is accumulating cards to play in the next phase. Each board does have action spots, which helps in their specific competitions. After players have played all their workers, they move into the actions phase. This is where you can now play the cards that you've acquired. There are going to be two types of cards, instant one-time effect cards, and action cards that can be stored in your tableau and used round to round. Next up, if you're playing the elections competition, you have to do the Hyde Park phase. In this phase, players will see who has the most megaphones and will lose votes. Last place gains votes. Then if you're playing the society competition, you have to do the Dame Beatrice phase. This is where this will cause your influence markers to move up, which is the exact opposite of what you want. Lastly is the end of round. This is where you're going to check to see if anyone has reached zero or lo lower in any one competition. If they did, the game ends. Otherwise, the game will end after round five. You're going to count your points in each competition, and the highest score among them is your score, and the lowest score wins. So what makes this game interesting is the theme and the different competitions because each one plays uniquely from the other. I didn't necessarily get into the nuts and bolts of each competition. I figure we can talk about it a little bit now. So let's talk about the easiest one, which is the elections competition. So what you do is you're going to start with a certain number based on player count and your goal is to hit zero. Yeah. So what you want to do is is get everybody in town to like vote against you. It's really kind of funny. I like the theme of this game quite a bit. And I like, if you look at the cards and the artwork, they're really funny. Like one of them's like 
you can be an architecture. And then the architect is like drawing like a kid's drawing of a house. Like he's a really bad architecture. And so it's just really funny. You're trying to like be really bad at all these stuff. So people like vote you down. It's it's very weird. You want thumbs down. Any thumbs up is bad. Because <laughs> if you do anything good for the community, they're going to vote for you. And then you're going to go back up. Well, it's funny, too, because the the uh, part where it's the Hyde Park phase, you're basically whoever has the most megaphones, whoever's the loudest and has offended mm-hmm. people the most is going to lose votes. And mm-hmm. the person who hasn't really spoken up is going to gain votes just by uh-huh. the sheer fact that somebody else is losing votes. It's more annoying than, than you are. Yeah. It's really funny. I love the I love the theme and I love the artwork that it goes along with the theme. The the worker placement part is very standard worker placement, but you can go to these different spots that'll kind of um they'll get you cards. The cards combo well together, so that might kind of determine where you want to go. You know, you've got some actions that aren't, you know, that are really basic and aren't that great. So it's got this tension of like uh what area do you want to go in first because you want to get the best one first. Um, but you kind of need to get a little bit of everything. It's it's really the the um, worker placement part about it is is not terribly unique, but it does it in a different way because you've got all these different spots, different like themes of the game. I think the worker placement spot it, or the worker placement phase is secondary to the the card management phase. You're really mm-hmm. just sending out workers to accumulate cards, and so you can play them in the following. In the following phase that way you can get as many actions and do do a variety of things with mm-hmm. those cards i think it boils down to this the, the hand management piece um and yeah to, to talk about the theme the theme of this game is just i think that's what initially attracted me to this game and in some aspects i feel like i was somewhat hesitant to play this game because you're trying to basically race to get zero points but the as i've played it that's not really your goal. Your goal isn't to like race to get zero in one competition. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do that because your score is going to be the highest amongst all the competitions you're playing. Which is really hard. You have to focus on all of it. Yeah. You, you've got a few cards. And you're like, okay, if I go to that spot, I'll get this other card, which is going to combo well with the, with the cards I already have. Sweet. I'm going to get my votes way down. But then I'm completely ignoring all my money that I need to get rid of. You know, and so you, there's some cool comboing, but you don't want to like invest too much into that. You've got to like, I don't know, maybe each turn you can invest in a different area, but you can also save your cards. So you don't have to play your cards when you get them. You can save them for better opportunities. Um, So if you can collect more of them, they might be better for you. And and so that's kind of fun. So early on in the game, you're not really doing a whole lot. And then towards the end, as you're collecting all these cards on the last turn, you can just like vomit them all down and just do a whole ton which is cool too you can have some big combos yeah but you don't want them to be that big because it's cool you can get zero points in this one area trigger end game but you still have 20 some points in this other area and now you've just lost that's, that's exactly what happened to me it's very unique in the way that you have to approach this game all three if you play all three competitions you have to be efficient at all three so it's very much a game of deciding when you're going to move in this area, when you're going to make, you know, moves in this area, when you're going to make moves in, in some of the other areas. So let's circle back and let's talk about each competition slightly. Okay. The elections competition is the most straightforward. You are literally just moving a marker down a track. 
You're mm-hmm. losing as many votes as you possibly can. There is uh, another piece connected with that, which are these little tiles. One of the things I did not mention in the overview is there are a bunch of icons in this game. Like there could be a horse or uh, a wheel or house. Wheel, yeah, house, whatever. And some of the actions become better the more of those that you have. So mm-hmm. when you when you acquire these tiles and you're connecting a little grid with them, a little tile placement, you end up getting additional symbols. But for the most part, that is straight up move down a track. Pretty mm-hmm. simple, pretty straightforward. The next like easy one, I guess you can say, is the society competition. And that one is interesting because you have a board and you have three columns. And each column is going to have points on it. And then you have four influence markers, two blue and two pink. And the goal is to move them down into the negative space. But when you're moving them, there you don't always just move one down. Sometimes you get cards that will move them diagonally. Well, you can't move one diagonally if there's another person there. Sometimes you'll get a card. Like the last game we played, I had a card where one of my, one of my markers could jump. And I just so happened to line everything up where I could play that card and it jumped all the other people. And Mm -hmm. I was able to get really far down on that one thing. So it's a real interesting spatial puzzle. That one's my favorite because of the puzzliness of it. Moving these characters around. And then if you can get them to land on an icon, then that'll increase. You know, if you've got a special ability associated with that icon, that'll increase that. So it's really fun to move those along. Plus, you've got Aunt Beatrice who's going to like really push your your people back up if they meet these certain requirements. So you want to like... Every round, you want to move them around so Beatrice is going to move them up if they're next to another one, so you have to spread them apart. Or, oh, now Beatrice is going to move them up if they're in the yellow and orange column, so you got to keep them out of that column. So you've got a ton of manipulation with them, and that that those ones are my favorite just because of the puzzliness of moving those characters around. It is definitely fun to be able to start sliding things around and moving things with all your different cards. Mm-hmm. So that one, that one is, I, yeah, I like that one quite a bit as, as well. And then... The final competition that you can do is the possessions competition. So in the start of the game, you're going to get a stack of possessions, which all are going to have a coin value. And they're also going to have a symbol. So it's interesting playing with this initially because you get additional symbols at the start of the game. But you need to get rid of those possessions because all those possessions, your score in that one is the, is the amount of money you have plus the number of, on the possession plus an extra three per possession. So you can, there's a lot you have to do. And the board basically allows you to manipulate the pieces. So you're trading a value six in for a value three, and then maybe a value three for a value one. So you can downgrade these pieces, but at some point you need to sell them so you can get money, so you can get rid of your money. Yeah, that was that one was a lot of fun too, just because I'm like, oh, I got all these symbols, which lets me do all these other things, but I need to get rid of them, but I don't want to get rid of them yet. But then you're like, okay, I get rid of them, and I have this pile of money. I need to get rid of that. It, it's, it's fun. So the game, when you play your first game, recommends that you play two of them, which is the society one and the elections one. And then when you're further along, or if you've played the game several times, is when you can start adding in the third one. Having played two competitions and then having played all three together, which do you prefer? The three because it, I liked having the um, the the symbols. You did get two more workers to balance it, so yep. there's definitely a lot of thinking around it. And, and we played at two player, which I liked playing at two player because I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do. It was tough because there was so much to think about. 
So if I played more players, I think I would keep it to two just because it the game would move along a lot quicker. Having those extra actions would make it longer, plus the, all that thinking you have to do. But at two, I definitely liked all three of them. There's a certain amount of tension that you get when you're playing all three because you, you need things in all three areas. And you're always going to end up not getting something you want because the other player is taking it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tension of can, which spot do I go to to get this thing that I know I really need in order to progress my game forward. Maybe I'm doing really good in votes, but I'm not doing so well in the possessions. Maybe I just focus all my energy there. Playing all three, I think, can be really overwhelming for new players. Mm-hmm. Just because the sheer amount of stuff that you need to focus on. It's not like you can say, all right, I'm just going to focus all my energy on this thing. No, you right, have to yeah. do all three. If you don't do all three, <laughs> you're going to like, well, in that two-player game you and I played, we played all three. You triggered the end game. An accident. I forgot that that was going to trigger the end game. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't have played those cards. Yeah, well. I would have saved them for later. And the thing is, I didn't even recognize it until you started. We were getting ready for next round. I was like, okay, see if anyone's. I'm like, oh, man, she's negative on the society thing. Oops. Which was a bummer because I still had a ton of money and some paintings. So I ended up with like 29 points. It was bad. It was, I mean, it. you can definitely trigger the end game before you're ready for the end game. Yeah. We need to play it again. I need a rematch. No, you want to. Okay. Rematch. Round two. Mm-hmm. Play best two out of three. I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, it's just all having all three together feels very robust is mm-hmm. the best way I can describe it. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of interesting decisions. Where do I go? The worker placement is is not the heart and soul of this game, as Natasha likes to say. The heart and soul of this game is that hand management piece. Mm-hmm. When are you playing your cards? When are you timing things out? You have a you have the capability of keeping, I think, six cards in front. Well, once you fill that up, if you need to re-put another card down, you have to get rid of one. Which one do you get rid of? There's a lot of interesting decisions to be made. Yeah, you can focus really hard on one, and then you can now replace it with another card and focus on something else, too. So you can do it. You can, like, be focused and then focused and then focused, you know, or you can spread yourself out all of the rounds. It's, it's, un- it's really different, and I like how unique it is. It doesn't feel... Um, like anything else. I agree. Although I haven't played Last Will, which now I really want to play Last Will. Well, the, the interesting thing about Last Will is you can incorporate that game into this game. Last Will came out first, so and then this one came out second. And like I said, you can incorporate Last Will into this as another competition. I think you get rid of maybe the possessions track. You need to you need to pick that up, Bob, so we can play that. <laughs> yeah, I need to pick it up. Why don't you yeah. pick it up? Because you have Prodigals Club. There'd be no reason. For me. Although then I could have one game, you could have the other, and then we get together, we could play both. I, I guess that would be fair. Yeah, I mean, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll see. Um, What would you rate this game? I'm going to give it a nine. I really, really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm coming in at an eight and a half. I really liked it as well. It just, maybe I should maybe I should give it a nine. You know what? I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it a nine know. as well. I'm going to go right along with you. Nine, nine for me. I, I really like this game. Yeah, right. Let's <laughs> twist my arm. It just there's something that just kind of comes together really well in this game. I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like that hand management piece and that timing element of when you're going to play your cards and how you're able to sequence all your cards to maximize stuff. Maybe you move down this one track to get an extra icon, which now makes this action more lucrative. So now you take this action, which moves another thing, gives you a different icon, which you can do this other action. You can start getting into these nice little combo pieces with everything. 
the only big thing is you need to make sure you focus on all three. And I think that's the reason why it doesn't feel like a race is you have to be efficient at all three of the puzzles. Right. You don't want to race to the bottom on one of them. A hundred percent. Yep. So if you if you like that sort of thing with a little bit of worker placement, the the unique theme of it, I, I really like it makes you think differently. You're trying to get rid of all your stuff. Lowest score wins. Yeah. If you really like that, I would definitely give this game a try. That is the Prodigals Club. All right. Next up, I want to talk about this little game by Blue Orange Games called Downtown Farmer's Market. It's designed by Johan Benvenuto and Alexandra Droit. Um, there's no artist listed. It's an open drafting tile laying game. So in this game, players are trying to draft uh, ingredients tiles to fulfill order requirement tiles that will earn them points. So you start off the game and you get four of these order tiles and they're double sided so you can pick what side you want to use and then you line them up vertically and then you get four more tiles and again you pick what side you want and you line them up horizontally so that it's the start of a grid. Um, and each of those tiles has a requirement. So one might say, um, I need exactly three cheeses. Another one might say, you're just going to get one point for however many milk is in this, in this row. And then the other one might be like, all right, uh, this, this tile needs exactly 11 items. And then each score a a little bit differently, depending on, you know, how difficult it is. So, You've got this, now you've got this grid and now you're going to draft these tiles to fit in the grid. So you you take a tile and you place it anywhere within that grid and you want it to kind of correspond with each of the the horizontal and the vertical order requirements. And, you know, starting off, it's pretty easy. You can probably put them in a lot of different spots. But then as, as the game moves along, it becomes tougher and tougher because now you need exactly, you need a tile with one cheese and one bread to match both the vertical and the horizontal. Or it needs to have a cheese but no bread. Some of the tiles um, are easier than others. Some of them are like, I want no carrots, no corn, and no bread. Okay, that's a little bit easier than a tile that requires like an exact set of of cheese, bread, and carrots. You know, something like that. And they're all very different. And uh, what makes this game so great is the puzzliness of it. It's so fun to to find a tile that lines up perfectly. I 100% agree. I I really, really like this game. That open drafting piece is really fun. You're always trying to figure out what you need and where you can place it. The The puzzle's really unique on where you're placing things. And the, what I love the most about those, those order tiles is there's so many different kinds of things. There's ones for sets of, if you get three of these types of ingredients, you know, you're going to get points. A certain number of, you just need you know, a certain number of things, one point per thing, there's a there's enough variety in them that it gives you some even really good decisions when you're first picking out your tiles and where you're going to place them in your in your grid so you can score points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got a lot of decisions because you've got a big decision with what tiles you're going to take, right? Because they're double-sided. You want a couple hard ones that are going to score you a bunch of points, but you don't want all hard ones because that'll be really difficult to complete them all. You want some easy ones. So, you know, maybe if you have to sacrifice, you know, you're not going to get something. You can put it in the low scoring one. I don't know, something like that, because it is difficult to get them all. But I like I like the puzzliness of the game. I love that it's got really simple uh, cartoon artwork, uh, very clean design, the nice thick tiles. It's in a nice small box. I really like just about everything about it. 
I 100% agree with you. I There's so many things to like about this game. And one of the things is it reminds me of King Domino in some ways. And it I'm just surprised that not a lot of people are talking about this game. It's super simple. You're drafting some tiles. You're playing them. You're playing them out. The two-player version is actually quite good as well mm-hmm. because you take a tile and then you you have a row of five. You take a tile and you get rid of a tile. So sometimes you are looking over to see maybe well, what tile do you I think they might want mm-hmm. and get rid of it. So it, it, you get you still are able to get through all the tiles. So you're able to see them all, which I think is really good in two-player. Yeah, you don't have the complaint that that tile never came out. Now, it might have come out when Bob goes first and he discarded it. So that's a bummer. But there's enough variety that you're not trapped in where you need one specific tile that there's only one of in the game or anything like that. You've got options. Yeah, I like it a lot. I wouldn't want to play the two-player version where you're both looking at each other's game and, and choosing which tile to get rid of based on what they have. I think it would really slow the game down and it wouldn't be very fun. I just kind of quick look at him and like, what do you, what do I think is probably going to be the best for Bob? But I don't take a look at like your grid and try to figure out which tile you're trying to go for. You could do that later in the game and early in the game. Like there's so many options you'd be fine regardless, but later in the game, like you really want a certain tile. I, I don't think it'd be very fun to play it that way where I'm looking, Explain a lot of time looking at your grid trying to figure out what you want. I don't play games typically like that anyway, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why something like, you know, Castles of Mad King Ludwig it doesn't necessarily resonate all that well with me. So in this game, normally, if there's a tile with three ingredients, I'm probably going to get rid of it because it probably it gives a lot of times the most options because you can put something in a spot. But then again, sometimes you just need one thing. And it, like you said, it gets a little bit easier to figure out what it is they your opponent wants later on mm-hmm. and you can be a little bit more strategic, especially towards the end when there's only a, a couple spots left. You can say, all right, they need corn in this one. This one has corn. I'm just going to get rid of that one, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. But still at two player, I think it, I think it moves along well. I think the scoring is cool. I think the fact that you can get rid of tiles and then, you know, repopulate it to get through the entire deck. I think it works really well at a two player game. And normally games like this don't. Yeah. I agree. Normally, two-player tile drafting games, those tiles just don't come up. You just don't get as much variety. But yeah, I really like this. I think it's great. It's got to be a... I don't know how much it costs, but it's got to be a lower price point because it's a small box game. I highly recommend it. I'm going to give it an 8. What about you, Bob? I'm giving this one a 9. I really... I love this game. It's... There's something so simplistic about it. And interestingly enough, the way I found out about this game is we went to a game night and... Uh, myself and Jeremy were kind of off off to the side a little bit because everyone was kind of in the middle of something, I believe. And he's like, hey, do you want to play this quick game? I was like, yeah, sure. And we played it. And I was like, wow, I got to pick this up. He's just like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm feeling it. I'll sell you my copy. So that's how I ended up picking it up. And mm-hmm. I'm glad I did. I really, I really like it. Yeah, nine for me. Yeah, I'm thinking about picking it up because I think I could play it with my kids, although my son doesn't like tile laying games. But this one, I don't know. I definitely think my daughter would like it. I think the puzzliness of it is kind of fun. It's it's really visually easy to look at. You know exactly what you're going to go for, which one you're going to put in each column. Um, yeah, overall, I think it's a great game. Highly recommend it. I think it'd be a good game for um, a lot of people that don't play a lot of board games as well because it's so simple and easy to teach. All the, the All of the 
what makes it interesting is the strategy and the decisions. It's not complicated. It's like, okay, you know, you want to try to get carrots in this row, corn in this row, milk in this row, or a combo of any of those. It's really easy to figure out what you're doing. And, um, you know, there's a, but there's a lot of strategy in the decisions that you make. Yeah. Each column and row has an objective and you're trying to fulfill that objective. Mm-hmm. And then if you can't, you decide, yeah, if you can't, then you decide which one you're going to, which one you're going to not score. Mm-hmm. All right. Highly recommend. That is Downtown Farmer's Market. Check it out. All right. For my recommends this week, I'm going to recommend, it's a series. The first book is called The Collapsing Empire. It's by John Scalzi. I actually recommend just about anything by John Scalzi. He writes a lot of sci-fi and his sci-fi is like light and fun. It's not too heavy or anything. Uh, he's written a lot of standalone books, Locked In and a um, few others. Anyways, the one I'm talking about, my favorite, is The Collapsing Empire. It's a three-book series, and it's set way in the future when humans have like left Earth and, and colonized this other set of planets. They've got this unique uh, way of traveling really fast in between the planets, but there's a problem with it. It's collapsing, which you later find out, um, and they have to figure out how to solve for it. It's it's really fun uh, book, and uh, I really like the characters in it. They're like got some really strong female characters in it um i like the audio version it's read by will we in which i like his his um i like him reading books i think he does a great job um that is the collapsing empire by john scalzi highly recommend it one of my favorite books actually i think we're seeing a theme emerge with the books you like you like colonizing other planets i do like that seems to be the running theme in a lot of these the a lot of these books that you're recommending I do. I like uh, characters that are discovering new things. Um, I I really like aliens and or like finding aliens and having to interact with them. Like characters that go into like like fitting in socially. I love characters that don't fit in socially. Either maybe they're robots or AIs, you know, or or just don't fit in socially and how they interact with other people because the culture is different. I like all types of those things. Like time travel, you know, that you have to fit in. Different cultures you to fit in. I like I like that theme too. That's definitely a big a big thing that I'm into, especially when it comes to sci-fi. Have you read any of the Martha Wells murder bot stuff? No. All right. I just started one of the. It's uh the very first book in the series. It's uh, All Systems Red. Um, I'll let you know what I think of it. So, okay. But the murder, yeah, it's like a. It follows the arc of a murder bot basically, and. Mm-hmm. Who is supposed to be controlled by the government, but he hacks the program. It's like, nah, I'm going to be my own person. I like, I definitely like uh, artificial intelligence. I, I think anything like that. Like Data is always my favorite character in Star Trek, you know, because he always struggles to like fit in. And I, I like that a lot. Data was your favorite character, huh? Mm-hmm. So what Star Trek did you grow up on? Uh, the one with LeVar Burton, the... Um, next Generation? Original, yeah, Next Generation, yeah. The original was with... Uh, William Shatner. William Shatner. No, I watched um, LeVar Burton the most. And then I saw him on Reading Rainbow, and they did like the whole, they showed them the makeup behind the scenes. That was cool. And how they did all those special effects, like of the Enterprise. That was You know cool. how cool it was to be in elementary school and have them roll in the TV, and then we're going to watch Reading Rainbow, and there appears <laughs> Jordy LaForge on the yes. TV screen, and you thought you were so cool because you knew who he was. <laughs> Different times back then. <laughs> no, remember, his, like, what was that uh, thing that he wore for his eyes because his vision was bad? He was blind or something? Yeah, I like, can't remember. Like, that's it. so silly now at this point. Like, he would just have a robotic eye. 
Well, and later on in the later movies, he ends up getting robotic eyes or whatever he gets gets implants or whatever. But you didn't, probably didn't watch any of those movies, did you? Um, I vaguely remember it, but I remember the TV show a lot. I like the newer Star Trek ones. I love the new series; it's really good. And I like Upper Decks quite a bit. I don't even know what those are. Oh, you need to watch the new Star Trek. It's really good. And Upper Decks is a um, cartoon version of Star Trek, which works really well because they can do a lot more, you know, cartoon. Yeah, I uh, I was a uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager were kind of like all my jam. People seem to hate on Star Trek Voyager, but I always liked it. So oh yeah, Voyager's good. I liked um the n- the newest one besides the new one that everybody hates, where it's like the oldest one. It it's the first generation of. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, everybody hates it, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. All right, that's gonna wrap up this segment. We are gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and dive into the top 50 of our top 100. We're going to do 50 through 41. All right. Welcome back. We are going to go ahead and get into our top 100 games of all time. The board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time. Numbers 50 through 41. Very uh, mathematical how we came up with this. You'll just have to trust us. It was, a, it, yep, there was some math involved. It wasn't the <laughs> most complicated equation ever, but it happened. Yeah, so. we took our both of our top 100 lists, mashed them together, combined them in a very mathematical formula, and this is what we spit out, our top favorite games. I got to imagine there's people who are like, who are like math professors, just like you guys did it completely the wrong way. Like it doesn't really, matter. Yeah. I did I did do it a few different ways and the results were pretty much the same. There was a few at the top that kind of changed around a little bit, but for the most part. Um, and then like like that your number three game that I've never even played, that one would move around depending on where um, how I did the math, but it was always there. So I didn't worry too much about how it was done. These are all games that we... We really, we both really like, or one of us really, really likes. Yeah. Well, just to keep things fair, that way we're not developing two lists and half the games are games we both like. Yeah, pretty much. We have so much in common for the most part. All right, let's kick it off. Let's um, do it. He- here we go, Bob. Uh, one of your favorite games actually comes in at number 22 for you. I have not played this. That's War of the Rings Second Edition. Yeah, I don't know if you're ever going to play this game. No, I'm, I'm not. It's Lord of the Rings in a Box. I like Lord of the Rings. I liked the movies. They were beautiful movies, but they're long too. I imagine the game is long. <laughs> it the game is long. So think so this game is Star Wars Rebellion, but for Lord of the Rings. Two player game, one player plays the fellowship, and the other player plays pretty much every other bad guy that you have. Sauron, Salmon, uh Sar Saruman, the Nazgul, all of them. So basically one person's the fellowship, one person is everyone else, and uh yeah you're it's a two-player asymmetric game the fellowship is trying to get the ring to you know mordor to throw it in the in the volcano and the other players basically trying to prevent all that and trying to fulfill like conditions of sieges on like castles and different things like that it's a it's a really good game uh i, it, I think it does the ip a lot of justice i think it's really good i just happen to be more of a fan of star wars so I really like Lord of the Rings. Don't get me wrong, but. Well, it's your number 22. You like it a lot. I do like it a lot, actually. All right. That's War of the Ring, second edition. Number 49 is a game we both like. In fact, it comes in at 61 for both of us. 
Really? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a crossover if we had two separate lists. Uh, welcome to Roll and Write too. Yeah, it's my favorite Roll and Write game. Oh, okay. Um, I think at least I think I don't know if there's a good. I don't think there's one that's higher. There's one for me that is higher, and it does come in higher on the list. Obviously, because you made the list, so your games are naturally going to get you know first dibs at getting on the list. Sure. Yep. That's 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 very true. That I know. I know. It's only slightly higher because I liked it a little bit better, and you liked it only slightly less than this game. All right, Welcome to is a great roll and write. It's um, I remember when it first came out, it was really big because you could play it with like unlimited number of people, right? Everyone just gets a sheet of paper, you flip over the card, and you write off what you do. You're building a little neighborhood, trying to complete goals. Great game. Um, I haven't played Welcome to the Moon yet, but I really want to because I heard it's really good. Yeah, I haven't either, but this game. Of all the rolling rights, this one I I've always liked the best. I agree. That's our number forty nine. Welcome to. I agree that you like it the best. I don't agree that it is the best. That's what all I right. said. I said I like it the best. I didn't say it was the best. Yeah, I'm just saying I agree. You agree that I like it the best. Yes. All right. As long as we've clarified that you agree that I like it the best. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Number forty eight is a favorite of Bob's. It comes in at twenty one. Um, I like it. Well, too, it comes in at 123, so just past my top 100, and that's Ethnos. It's an area control one, though, so it won't hit my top 100. You know, I referenced, yeah, so I referenced a game, I think it was last episode, where it's just perfect for an expansion, but they'll never get one, and that is this game. I love Ethnos. It is so good, and the artwork terrible is not good the components terrible the board terrible everything about it is ugly and it's still so good can you imagine if simon actually gave it some love and like did some cool artwork and made a couple of expansions basically you're you're set collecting and putting area control markers out yeah i like it actually because because the set collection of the cards is really cool and and it's fun i like that part of it well and you don't need to focus all your efforts on the area control aspect of it, because you can actually make a lot of points by acquiring sets of cards. Mm-hmm. You know, so based on how big your band is, you can get additional points. I the, this game is is so incredibly good, and it really frustrates me that there's no expansion. There's no the artwork is terrible. If like I said, if they had good artwork. And maybe an expansion or two, this thing would be doing so much better. But for whatever reason, eh, I don't know. It is what it is, but it's such I a good I agree. Game. It, it's definitely one of my favorite area control games, I think. That's our number 48, Ethnos. All right, 47 is a favorite of both of ours. This is Everdale. It comes in at 63 for me and 56 for Bob. So real close there, actually. We like it about, about the same. Everdale's like a really cutesy... Um, animal you play a little animal character it's worker placement um you go out and you collect these resources you build these cards in front of your tableau my only complaint is that sometimes those cards you play is an additional worker placement spot which is cool but it's kind of a lot to read like you got to pay attention to other people what they're doing the cards they're playing you know you got to pay attention to the cards up on the tree which is kind of ridiculous like nobody sets up this stupid tree but other than that I, i like the game People set that thing up all the time. I just saw somebody who 3D printed his own version of oh, the don't. tree. I don't like the tree because then you got you, you got to read the cards that are on top of the tree. It just makes it harder. 
Yeah, the tree doesn't work. Uh, I agree. The tree, the tree is a gimmick for this game, and this game does not need a gimmick. No. Ultimately, the artwork is amazing in the yes. game, and I agree. The biggest thing is some of the cards you play into your tableau could be a worker spot, maybe just for you. But if it's a worker spot for everyone else, you're not going to remember that. They yeah, do, and one of the expansions have like a little open sign that you can put on the card, so it lets people know, like, hey, you can come to this card. But then you got to like get up, you got to read the card, then you got to remember, okay, do I want to go there? But you definitely, I think, I think if you played it a ton, you'd probably get used to that and get familiar with the cards and know to look for it. Yeah. They also have this unique thing that if you build a specific type of building, you can get a creature for free. So it has this nice like combo piece. If I get this out, then I can probably, I can play this other card for free. And yeah. the, this game has a scaling effect. Because in the very beginning, you have two workers, and it doesn't feel like you're going to do anything. Your your tableau can be a specific size. And at the end of the first round or season, you're like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to, like, I, there's nothing I can do. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It just feels so limiting. But then you're scooping up more workers. And the way the seasons progress, because everyone is can be in a different season. So when you uh, get prepared for season... You snag up all your workers, so now all of a sudden they'll open up action spots for the other people who are in a different season than you. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, I, it's a really good game. The artwork goes a long way, too, I think. Yeah, I do like how it progresses. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm doing it a whole ton. You kinda, it kind of feels very combo-tastic-y where you play a card. Oh, I got more resources. Now I can play this card. Oh, that gave me more resources. I can play this card. You're, you're thinking you're only going to play one card, but you end up actually playing like five. It's, it's really kind of fun the way that that plays out. The very first time I played this game, I thought... After the first season, I'm like, there's no, like, I don't even understand why they're giving me uh, a limit to my tableau. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to be able to fill out this tableau. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the first game, I'm like, I only have one card spot left. What do I want to play? Because (laughs) I was able to fill it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. All right. That's our number 47, Everdale. All right. Number 46, a favorite of Bob. It comes in at seven. Top 10 game. What? What? Eh, I don't like it. It's number 55 for me. That is you li- dead. 55, 55 155. is good. Sorry, 155. Oh. 155. Oh. That's a dead of winter, a crossroads game. And I did love this game for a while when it first came out. I played a ton of it. I think I just got burned out on it. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I love this game. There's a caveat that you have to play with basically a trader. Uh, so the you can set up the trader cards in such a way that there's a chance, there's no chance, and there's a very high chance. I always play with a very high chance. Yeah. Because I think fun. it just adds a little bit more to the game. But yeah, I still like it. Every time I play this game, I always still have a good time with it. It is an older game, but I think it doesn't show its age. That makes sense. I think it's still relevant today. And the crossroads system is still still pretty awesome. Yeah. They need to do more with that. It, yeah. It's definitely worth checking out if you like the theme and, and you like those style of games where you're going out and trying to, you know, you're trying to keep all the zombies at bay and you're all trying to work together to complete a, a mission, like maybe collect enough food or or all, there's all kinds of different scenarios you can play. And it, it is a lot of fun. Like it, I of all those style of games, I this is definitely the game I played the most of, and and I had a lot of fun. And I, I like the the possible trader mechanic. It's it's tough. You've got your own, you know, goals going on as well. And I've played where like there's no way I can complete my goals, but I still always try to complete the game goal because I still want the whole game to win. So it, it's it, half, it's, it's it, half a win. It's half yeah. a win still. It's still I would still consider it like a win. Like we did it together. That's good. Um, it's. I think this game is going to be 
people dependent. You want to play with the right group of people. I've played it with people who are like, well, I can't win, so I'm not going to let the whole group win. Or I don't care. I'm going to hoard this food even if it costs us to lose because I need food. You know, and then that's just not as fun. Yeah, there's there can be there can be some sour pusses in this game for sure when uh-huh. you're but I think if you have a good group, I think it works really well. It's a zombie game, but it doesn't feel like a zombie game. The zombies are kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a social mm-hmm. deduction kind of game. Yeah, there's that. If you want to kill the zombies and you have a chance of getting bitten and stuff. I feel like I feel like it's very thematic with the zombies. Yeah. But yeah, all right, that's our number forty six, Dead of Winter, a crossroads game. All right, number 45 is a favorite of mine. This is Skull King. I love this game. It comes in at 23 for me. Bob, it's your 99, so it's still in your top 100 games. God, I I love trick-taking games, and this one is so good, and it plays up to six, which I really like. Um, You start off the game with only one card, and you bid on if you think you're going to get a trick or not. And then it ramps up to the next round. You play two cards. You can bid that you're going to get zero, one, or two tricks. Uh, and you all do it at the same time. So like you might have two cards in your hand and like everybody at the table thinks they're going to get one trick and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> you know, that's not going to work out because there's only two tricks and you get, you get points if you get, if you get the exact number of tricks you said you're going to take, if you can bid zero, you can bid zero tricks. And if you're successful and don't get any of them, then you get however many cards there are on your hand times 10 for points. So if there's only two two cards it's, you get 20 points for it but you know if you have seven cards it ramps up all the way to 10 if you have seven cards you can get uh 70 points that way and it kind of ramps up the scoring ends up being all over the place there's a lot of negative scoring you can have somebody win the game with 400 points and the last place has like negative 100 but uh, it's just a lot of fun like the bidding on the tricks and then the way it all plans out like or plays out it's it, i just really like this game this game holds a very special place in my heart because <laughs> it provided me one of the funniest interactions I've had with Natasha ever. And that is her showing us the game and teaching us how to play this game. So we're playing a couple rounds of it or whatever and scoring points. And then our friend Phil joins us and, hey, do you want to join in the game? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. We're only a few rounds in. So then Natasha's like, okay, when this happens, this thing happens. And then Phil goes, I don't think, I don't (laughs) think that's how that goes. I think it just had a few scoring, the scoring a little bit off. I didn't read the rules. I thought I remembered how to play. Clearly did not. Lesson learned. So don't take how she described the game as actually how it plays, because it probably plays completely different. (laughs) It did. Because (laughs) it's based on, it's based on a classic card game. I've heard it called like up and down the river, hand hand and mouth or no hand and foot i think um, if you're familiar with that you could play it with a deck of cards skull king it has a few extra cards in it that you wouldn't get in a regular deck of cards uh, like the skull king the pirates and and they, it's got these escape cards you can play where you can you don't have to follow suit you could just play this escape to fully get out fully get out of a trick so it helps you get zero it's fun even if you play it wrong it's still fun I really like trick-taking games where I try to not get any tricks. I think that's just even more fun than like trying to get a lot of tricks. I don't know why. I like that. It's a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah. 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 Highly, highly recommend it. Little card game. um, Plays up to six. Great. Uh, Skull King, our number 45. Ooh, number 45. 44. A game I like even more. (sighs) This is number 10 for me, Bob. And it's only up is this high on the list because Bob it comes in at 139, which makes me sad. 
<laughs> I wonder what it is. It's Code Names. I love uh, this game yeah. so much. The top 10 game of all time. Can't even believe it's that low for me. That's how much I love it. Yeah. I love Code Names and Code Names Duet, both of them. Yeah, this game. So funny enough, uh, we mentioned that I was on my my uh, works radio show. Surprisingly enough, I actually recommended this as a game to play because I understand how people love this game. For me, I'm just bad at half the game. That's the problem. I'm bad at half of it. <laughs> you know, it, like, and then giving the clues or whatever, it just doesn't make it makes me feel kind of dumb when I can't come up with a good clue. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'll. I mean, I'll. I'll play and I'll guess as much as you know the next person. But if I'm bad at half the game, I don't know. I thought I like I said, people love this game, and I see why they love the game. For me, it's I'm bad at half of it. I love this game. It's gone over so well with people that I've taught. I've taught to a lot of people who don't play a lot of games. Um, everybody loves word games, so they like that. Um, it's fun to make find clues and find connections that you don't you wouldn't normally see that aren't very obvious um i like the code names duet really good you can play it with two player or you can play two teams highly recommend you play that bob because then you can work together as a team to come up with clues you're not the only clue giver so mm. you can be an assistant with that not the, the leader a lot of people don't like that so i'm basically not going to come up with clues i'll just sit back you could sit back and you can help i'm sure you'll come up with something uh, I don't know. You haven't seen me give clues in this game before. <laughs> <laughs> I played this when we've gone camping with our friends and set it up, and we've literally played it all day long. And some people are like me. I'll sit there and like play it over and over and over again. And some people will just kind of come in, join a game, you know, get walk away and leave. They'll come in, like play like one clue and leave. Like you don't have to. You can play any number of people. It's best of four. You want at least four for code names. You need four to play regular code names, two for duet. You need four or more. It doesn't matter even if your teams are equal or not. You can just kind of come and go and play. It's it's but it's still like you're still thinking a lot. You have to come up with those clues. You have to know what the other person knows. Like you can give me this pop culture reference all you want. I'm not gonna get it. So nope, don't bother. Never. You gotta play your audience. <laughs> so I love it. One of the greatest games of all time. You can pick it up at Target. It's like twenty bucks. That's our number 44 code names. Okay, number 43, ah, another favorite of mine. This one comes in at number six. I like it even better than code names. I dump it so badly. Yes, Rising Sun. Oh, this yeah, it makes sense. 145. Yeah. yeah. But I, okay, Rising Sun is the second game in Eric Lang's trilogy. I love it i don't know why i think because i've had good luck playing it i actually just got i finally got it and i've been paying the minis because we haven't played it in probably a year or so and as soon as i'm done playing the minis which i'm almost done, i'm gonna get it out and play it again and make you guys play it with me i love rising sun and i'm gonna tell you exactly why <laughs> because you can kill yourself in all the battles and still win the game i i love playing the fox clan which is an expansion which i don't even have i should really pick that up because the fox lets you go in after everyone's set up. You can go into any battle you're not in. And then you can just kill yourself. Because <laughs> you're not going to win anyways. <laughs> and I just, I like these style of games where you don't have to be the biggest, baddest person. You can still win with different strategies. But what makes it unique is you've got this, the 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 battle system is so unique. You've got a um, screen so nobody can see what you're doing and you bid on the different parts of the battle. And then in order, you go through the different parts. 
And so you might have a plan and plan on beating everybody, but they kill themselves so you can't beat them anyways. But you still win. So there's different parts of it. Like you want to win at least a few of the battles because you get a lot of points with the set collection and the different areas and stuff. But you can get points other ways. So I just I think it's really fun. I like it a lot. This is my least favorite of all three of those games. Um, there's certain parts about it that are underwhelming and some parts that are fiddly. The piece I like the best is going to be the mandates where you draw three and you pick one and that's the action. The underwhelming portion of things is the tea party phase where you're trying to align with people. Yep. I think with the right group, that could be a lot of fun. I haven't played with a group that does it well. It's just kind of, all right, who do you want to, you and I will team up, I guess. Yeah, we just kind of change it up. I don't think there's anything interesting about the alliances. Yeah, so that part of it just doesn't, it just doesn't resonate with me. And the bidding for combat, I'm just not a fan. And that's fiddly because if you, when you lose your money and then half of it goes to the losing person, but it, but the, if you lose, you keep your money, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think so. Yeah. I like it. It is fiddly and it takes a long time, but I love the battle system. That's my favorite part of the game. The mandates, but I don't care how you put your figures out on the board. Let's just get through that to get to the battle part. That's what's fun. Sure. It's fun. It's my, like I said, it's my least favorite. It's still, it's still pretty good. Um, like I said, it is my least favorite of the three. I just, I just, I can win battles. I, I just never can win dudes on a map battles and I can win them in this game. Even like win them, not even by losing. You know, you I just can need win to get by better winning. at it. That's what you need to do is you just need to get better. No, at I just it. need to play Rising Sun because I get it. I like the, I like that. Okay, they're gonna win this game, so they're gonna try to win it. So I can either, or maybe I can take one of their things hostage. Then that would give me an extra one. Or yeah, but then how much do you bid on it? Do you bid six? Do you bid seven? Do you bid three? Who knows? Yeah, and I love that. And they're like, okay, well, they have these Ronin, which gives them extra influ- like extra uh, power in the region. And I don't have any Ronin, so they're gonna bid on Ronin and win the battle. Okay, oh, I can outbid them in Ronin. Even though I don't have Ronin, I can still outbid them. Then they can't play their Ronin, and I can win the battle. And they don't anticipate me doing that because why would I put all my money on that? And I just, I love that. So fun. Yeah, it's all right. It's fun. Number 43, Rising Sun. One of the best games ever made. The sixth best game ever made, to be exact. According to Natasha's sixth best game ever made. Yep. All right. Number 42 um, is Bob's number five. Even higher than Rising Sun for me. And I haven't played this one, and I'm not going to. Um, That's Arkham Horror, the card game. So I have played an Arkham Horror game, and I really disliked it. But I haven't played the card game. Yeah, I really like the card game because it tells a very compelling story over the course of a campaign. Essentially, I play this for the most part solo, so it can be actually quite difficult. For those who play, a lot of times people play two characters. I only play one. Uh, so your downfalls are your downfalls. You're just gonna, you have to manage that in some shape, way or form. And I like that piece of it, but what separates this from, let's say Marvel champions, which is a very similar concept in the living card game system. This has an overall arching story. They do, you do get some of that in Marvel champions with some of the box sets, like, you know, the rise of red skull, stuff like that. So you do get a little bit of that overall campaign, but this tells a very compelling story over the course of the campaign, like the Dunwich legacy playing through all those scenarios gives you this overall arching story. And it has very, it has that Cthulhu flavor to it, which I really like. Have you played the original Arkham horror? Uh, the board game? No. Yeah. Okay. Uh-uh. 
I wonder nope. how it would compare. I, the original was so long. Definitely not my style where you're all working together to like fight the baddies. See, I heard it was hot garbage. And then like the second edition was okay. Eldritch Horror was good. And then now there's Arkham Horror third edition already. I don't remember which one I played, but it was it was just really long and brutal. And for me, it was just not my style, which probably probably wasn't even that long. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, but I do like hard games, but I'm still not going to play this one. All right. That's Ar- Bob's number 42, Arkham Horror, his number five game of all time, the card game. It's R42. This is our R42. list. R42. Yeah, yeah. My number five of all time. But his number five. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. All right. <laughs> number 41. Another Last favorite. One. Last one for this one. Last one of the day. I'm so excited about these games, and they're only getting better. Um, I love this game. This was the first game I ever got into. It's Dominion. Um, This one comes in at 17 for me and just ekes out Bob's top 100 at 106. I love Dominion. I think I played, like, my first game I ever played was uh, Seven Wonders, then Carcassonne. And then someone's like, "Ooh, have you played Dominion?" And, and I'm like, "No." And they they let me borrow their game, and I love it. it was it's uh the original deck builder, such a great game. You you get a, you get an action, you get a buy, and then you get cards that allow you to get more actions, more buys, and you just build, build, build. It's so fun. Uh, kind of went a little bit crazy and bought a lot of them, most of them at the time. How many expansions do you own? I have no idea. Um, it's a lot. Like probably like 10 or something and i have it all in a really giant box that is too heavy to carry around they're only like 12 are you missing like how many are you missing i don't know i haven't looked in a while Mm. maybe i have like eight or something i had them all when the dark ages came out the dark ages was the last one i bought which is was bad i do not recommend the dark ages um in fact i would like to just get rid of all the dark ages out of there I had them all except for alchemist i didn't buy that one at the time and then i stopped buying them because it was too many and then I did recently buy Hinterlands, but I got rid of all the boxes, so they all, I just all have them in one big box. I like it. I got it out recently and started playing it again, even before I bought Hinterlands, and then again once I bought Hinterlands, and I, I just love it just as much as I did back then. I got my kids to play it. They really like it. They'll even play it together, which is nice. I would say this game made it to 106 because of us playing it at Origins. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have considered putting it on the list, but us playing it again at two player and experiencing i think we played with hinterlands right yep we just played the hinterlands yeah we had that expansion i thought was really good so having played it that recently i think really put it back into the forefront of my mind it i mean it edged out because it i i think as far as deck building is concerned it's a bit old like deck deck building has kind of started transcending into all these different things so this still feel it just feels like a little bit older, you know, and it will yeah. be. It's the original deck building game. It is. Um, it's simple. Like they're like there's they've taken deck building and they've added on new things to it. This is this is back to either this is back to you just play a card and and buy a card. It's super simple. There's no like additional like attack values on the cards. It's just you know you play an action, you play a, you make a buy. And, and you're just buying cards until you can buy the big cards. We don't want to buy them too soon because they'll clog up your deck, but you need them for scoring. So you kind of want to like build your deck up and then in the very last round through your deck, just scoop up and buy as many of those big cards as you can. And I, 
I actually like it better than all of the new games. It's still my favorite and I think it holds up well, um, except for the artwork is ugly. But if it wasn't for the artwork, I think it would it would doesn't feel to me like an older game. But that could be definitely my nostalgia with it. But that is our number 41, Dominion. And that wraps up our top 10 list for this week. They're top 41 through 50. So that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to go through the next 10. Uh, Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions. Let Bob know where he's wrong. Um, To (laughs) boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.